Hello, it's Joey Gathright, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. So it's definitely true that the Royals did not win as many games as they would have liked from 2006 to 2008, but there were some exciting things going on at Kauffman Stadium, especially in center field back then with Joey Gathright. I, Davo, one of my favorite things about that era was watching him patrol center field at Kauffman Stadium, watching him rob some home runs. He broke up Bobby Jinx's you know, bid for you know, 42 hitters in a row at the major league level, would have set the record. He broke that up. Did so many things. Jumped over cars, jumped over a rookie Corotta <laughs> during a spring training game. We'll talk about that and so much more right now as Joey Gathright joins us here on Clubhouse Conversation from his home in San Diego. Joey Gathright, how you doing, man? Things are good. Uh, hanging out with my son more <laughs> now that I have a lot more free time. Yeah, how old is he? He's 18 months. Oh, that fun age. Are you sleeping at night yet? Oh, he sleeps through the night, which is amazing, but he gets up pretty early. Uh, a, a decent trade-off, right? Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, yeah, because I sleep late. I go to sleep late. So for me, it's, you know, I don't get much sleep either way. So still used to that baseball schedule. Yeah, totally. Are you still jumping over cars these days at all? Or are those days behind you now? Way behind me. I have a friend that wants me to do it for like a, a commercial he wants to put together, but I don't think it's going to happen for him. <laughs> yeah, you got to take advantage of your youth, man. You've probably only got another 10 or 15 years of that ability, right? <laughs> I wish that was the case, but uh, I don't know. I think I'm done. Maybe I'll try to do it just once more for him, but other than that, I'm done with that stuff. Yeah, probably avoiding a torn ACL or broken kneecap's a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd rather jump it or jump instead of jump right into the side of it. <laughs> so why did you start doing that anyways? Is that like a high school thing? Uh, Yeah, I started like in the 10th grade. I was just bored, and we were, it was a, I guess the whole football team was just waiting on our parents to pick us up, and uh, I'm wearing baggy pants and Timberland boots, I can remember. And I just walked off on my own. Nobody knew what I was doing. I just walked off and just started running and jumped my coach's, what was it, Lincoln Town car at the time? <laughs> nice. And that just started the whole thing. And then it's just everybody wanted to see it. So I carried on from the 10th grade until, I don't know, like my big league call up. Yeah, YouTube videos to prove it. And then, of course, we'll talk later about the time you jumped over a pitcher during spring training. <laughs> that was a good time. But. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, okay, so we saw you recently then on TV during the Royals and Padres series out in San Diego. How good was it seeing some of your old teammates with the Royals? And I'm assuming you knew uh, Shields and Davis pretty well, too, from the Rays, right? Yeah, it was it was fun. Um, I didn't even know they were in town. At first, somebody told me um, that um, they came in town. They were coming on May 9th a while back ago, and I, I just forgot. And then they like, hey, man, we're going to the game. We're going to take these kids, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, yeah, I decided to go and... It was cool to see him. I haven't seen him all in a while, especially Shieldy. Yeah, you knew Shields pretty well from Tampa, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, a lot of the guys. Dyson is, you know, he's from Macomb. He's right down the street from where I was born. So we, you know, we're from the same area, Mississippi. So who's faster in their prime, you or Dyson? Oh man, I can't answer that, but I'm pretty sure he knows the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I got you. I feel you. There were a lot of fast people, you know, in my prime back when I was playing. There was a lot of people that were fast, so. Nah, you know, it's tough. 
They're being a little modest. There weren't too many faster, but we'll we'll let you yeah. do, do the PC answer there. Uh, so before we talk about baseball, then I'd like to talk uh, about your brave road to recovery, then, and uh, your personal journey to a relationship with the Lord, which I find really refreshing and, and really cool. So can you share with us the demons and struggles you, you've gone through and how you've turned that into the best thing that's ever happened to you? Uh, I don't know if I had demons. It was just more of a just the life. I think I got caught up in the lifestyle of being an athlete. You know, some of us. Some people just go through it, and they already have a good balance, a good base um, when they get into the game. You know, you know, I was 18 years old, and I didn't go to college. And where I come from in New Orleans, Mississippi, we just, you know, our lifestyle is different as we're coming up. We all have good parents. You know, I grew up in a great home, but, but um, I don't know. It's just the lifestyle. I got caught up in going out and partying and all that stuff instead of focusing on what, you know, I was ultimately put here to do, which is entertain and make people happy. I did those things, but, you know, instead of having a, you know, set parts of eight-year career, I could have had a long, I could still be playing now, which I probably could be playing now, but, you know, things happen. So just alcohol and partying and women and women and alcohol and partying, <laughs> it kind of catches up, man, you know at the end of the day, and that was basically what I was doing. And going out after games, you know, having drinks ready for you after the game, you know, was basically, I never did anything before the game or during the game. It's just once the game's over, you know, you have to wind down somehow because most of us drink a lot of caffeine, a lot of coffee, and a lot of Red Bulls before the game. So winding down just happens. You have to find a way to wind down. So, you know, not all of us because there are a lot of, Guys, obviously, that did it the right way and still doing it. You know, some of us did choose to go out and party a lot, and I was one of them. So that that was just basically my thing, was just going out and partying. And, you know, some people in Kansas City know it, you know, my friends and all that stuff. But that journey, you know, was, was a struggle for me to get out of because, you know, once you do it for so many years, it's tough. And at the rate and the amount of money that's going around, it's so easy to have access to pretty much whatever you want. And people don't really say no when you're an athlete and you have money. So all that stuff was easy. And then it got to a point where um, I started getting sick. And uh, once I started getting sick, I had to realize that, you know, I had to change my life. But it took me a while to, you know, finally come to that realization. You know, the first time I had a um, seizure, it was from alcohol withdrawal. And, um, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I was feeling weird because I just stopped drinking for about two or three days. But I was on vacation. I was with my friends, and we were just drinking, you know, and um, I just stopped cold turkey. And um, apparently you're not supposed to do that. I did not know. Yeah. The doctor told me. And because, um, you know, I don't know if you know, but when you're on vacation with a bunch of, you know, old friends, you're pretty much drinking, yeah. you know, the whole time. Totally. So, um you know, we drink, and before then, I mean, it's been years of me drinking and having fun with my friends, but it's not like I was, really no excuses, but just, there was a life, you know, you have nothing to do in the off season. so if you choose not to, and I was one of the guys that chose not to, and so the first time I had the first seizure, you know, I just, you know, I didn't really, it didn't take hold of me of what was actually going on inside my body until I had another one, and then another one. And then finally, you know, my son was born, and it kind of changed everything. And and uh, I just, I don't know, I just ended up talking to my parents, talking to my friends, talking to 
all the people that really actually cared about me and really knew what my struggle was. Because nobody really knew. Like, my parents didn't know. Nobody knew that I drank as much as I was at the time. But they found out after the third seizure because it was pretty serious. And, you know, who knows what can happen after the fourth. So yeah. finding the Lord was the the best solution for me because I've never tried really anything else. But, you know, it's just, you know, all the things that I need to find and to correct my problem was there because if I would continue going out and partying with friends, which if, you know, if I wanted that lifestyle, stay in it. But now I have a kid to take care of and he needs me here. And I need to be around him because he's amazing. And I'll be missing the game that I love. So, you know, finding the Lord and getting everything in perspective was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because, you know, without him, who knows where I could have been. Totally. Well, okay. So, to somebody listening right now who's thought about trying to forge a relationship then with Jesus Christ and the Lord, but never has, what would you tell them? Somebody like that that's going through similar things that you went through. You know what? Um, I found it a different way than most, but I would just tell them. I mean, if, if that's what they're looking to do, just get a Bible and um, start reading Proverbs. I mean, when I, when I started talking to my friend, man, he was trying to. I was like, "What do I read? I don't even know where to start." He's like. You know, grab the Bible and read Proverbs. I was like, what's a proverb? <laughs> I thought it was like a noun or something. <laughs> He's like, no, just read Proverbs and start there. But I don't know, just grab it and start reading in Proverbs and slowly start working your way to John. But you got to find somebody that you can actually relate to because I didn't know anybody that really read the Bible, which is kind of weird because throughout my career, that's why I tell people now, you know, God's been trying to talk to me for a long time. Throughout my career, I had four people coming to my life try to get me to come to the Lord and I just wasn't ready. Mike Sweeney was one of them. Yeah. And and um you know, so I just think if you if you're really, really trying to find the Lord, you just find a good friend that actually believes in God and he's actually living the right way through God instead of being out like a fake Christian, I guess that's what people call it. And you know, actually just try to apply it to your life the best way you can because you're not gonna be perfect no matter what you do. So you know just try to apply it to your life the best way you can and, you know, just try to live the right way. And that's a good way to start, I would say. So do you, obviously physically you, you feel better, but, I mean, mentally, do you feel like you have a burden off of you? And, like, do you feel like you can just think more clearly and life is a little easier now? Yeah, you know, because, uh, yeah, because I, I just, everything's clear. I don't drink anymore, so that's one thing. But now I just have time to sit back and actually just live life. Just um, being honest with you, when you don't have anything to do and you have access to a lot of things, you usually just go to the bad things. You usually don't go to the good things. At least in my case, that's what I did. So now it's just I just hang out with my buddy, man, and my son Jordan, and just you know everything's clear now. Like you just have a, a different mindset when you're just living out of sin because that life is just not for me anymore. Well, have you have you thought about writing a book before? By the way. I have a lot of people trying to get me to do that now, man. I just, I think it would be cool, but I just don't even know how to even start it, to be honest with you. But I think that testimony I did was a uh, good um, start to one. But yeah, well, maybe maybe these next few questions will help spark some ideas here for you. So let's go way back then. You went to high school in Kenner, Louisiana. You played baseball, football, and you boxed. So I didn't even realize you didn't even play baseball as a senior. Why was that? Um, I had surgery. Oh, because uh, my uh, first game of my senior year of football, I was better at football than baseball, actually. But 
my first year or my last year, my senior year, Jesus, in uh, football, I hurt my shoulder, my throwing arm, um, the first game. And um, the doctor, I will not say his name because <laughs> he knows why, uh, he said I was fine. And I didn't think he was like, just don't try to throw a ball for the rest of the season. I was like, well, I have to play baseball after this because I might be getting drafted. He's like, well, okay, we'll just take your time and uh, just don't throw a ball. I said, okay. So went through the whole season, had a great season. And um, baseball season came around, and I tried to throw a baseball. Couldn't throw. It was too painful. So I go back to see the guy, and he says, I'm fine again. And I go see a specialist because my mom was getting worried at this point. So it turns out I had a fracture in my throwing arm. <laughs> and um, he told me that I couldn't play baseball that year. So. And I thought I wasn't going to get drafted, but I ended up getting drafted anyway. Yeah, you did. And, uh, yeah, 32nd round in uh, 01. Benny Latino was a guy that kind of discovered you. So where were you at on draft day, and then what do you remember about that day? I was home, actually. And uh, Benny came to my house in Louisiana, and uh, he actually stayed about 30, 40 minutes away from me in Hammond. And uh, he just came by, and he was like, hey, uh, well, he called me first and told me that I was drafted, which was cool in its own self and uh brought the paperwork and all that happened but they told me which a lot of people really get this they said you're going to be drafted in the 22nd round you're going to get this amount of money none of that happened whatsoever <laughs> so <laughs> after the 22nd round i was like well i guess it's not going to happen you know i didn't play my senior year blah 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 but it ended up happening and you know i did the rest i guess yeah, well, you moved quickly, really. You were in Charleston in 02, 2003 in Bakersfield in Orlando. You stole 69 bases that year. And then 2004, in both Montgomery and Durham, you were ranked the third-best prospect uh, with Casimir and Young in the uh, Tampa system. So what are your favorite memories of those minor league days with the Rays when you look back now? Man, that was fun. You know what? I, I, that was probably the best time I had playing baseball, actually. Just coming up with a group of guys. Because at that time, that farm system was pretty much – a major league baseball team in the making because we all ended up making it to the big leagues. I mean, you got DJ Delman, Johnny Gomes, you know, a lot of guys, Scott, Jamie, Shields. I mean, a lot of guys on that and coming through that system that are still in the big leagues right now. So, you know, we just enjoyed our time and worked hard to get to the big leagues. And we try to get to as quickly as possible because for those of us that did not sign for millions of dollars, we had to, um, <laughs> You know, get there quickly because ramen noodles are not that great. You're right, yeah, right. right. Well, the chili ones aren't bad, though, are they? <laughs> um, yeah, the strength is good for me. So. That's right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. A little protein. So so you were blessed. One thing I've always wondered about you is it seemed like you had pretty good, well, not pretty good. You had great, you know, most years, plate discipline and strike zone judgment as you came up, especially at the young age. What do you credit to that, you know, that, that early strike zone judgment to when you were first coming up? Because that's kind of rare in a player. Well, I didn't really care about striking out. I knew if I had two strikes I, that um, I could put the ball in play anywhere. And for me, putting it in play, um, you know, meant I have a chance to beat it out, basically. So you know, I tried to, and I had this coach in A ball, uh, where was that, Bakersfield, and he just told me to try to take a lot of pitches and early in the count. And you take the more you take, the better chance you have of seeing, the better chance you let it get deep, the better chance you have of hitting it the other way. So that was my mindset to try to let it deep as I could and try to hit it the other way. By doing that, you also see the ball better. So you take pitches and you foul pitches off. Kind of like a Pedroia, because that's what he does. I mean, he hits more home runs, but you know, he tries to go. He sees the ball very well. He likes to get deep. and Basically, the same thing I was trying to do before I knew who he was. So 
and just let it and see it and just let it get deep and try to go the other way. And it helps out because you're able to recognize the pitch better. Totally, totally. So you got the call to the big leagues, middle of 2004. What do you remember about the moment you got that call to the big leagues? Any, any cool story on how you got the call? Cool story. Uh, yeah, not really. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I really, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to remember where I was. I think really? I was in drum. Yeah, <laughs> you're the. I think you're the first guy I've talked to who doesn't remember that call. That's awesome. <laughs> no, no, I remember the call. I'm trying to remember. I think I was I was uh, out with a with teammates actually. Yeah, we were in Durham and I found out. And um, first thing I called was my, was my mom, and she started crying. I didn't cry for some reason. I don't. I thought I would when I got that phone call because of my buddy Chad Godin when he got his, he cried. Huh. I was like, oh, cool, man. I'm pretty sure I'm going to cry when I get mine, too. And I wasn't crying. I was just excited. So, I don't know. It was a, a crazy experience. It was probably the most exciting time of my life. I was nervous, excited, all at the same time. Well, you it was s- kind of weird for I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, you, uh, yeah, so you were with Tampa 04, 05, and you started 06 with Tampa as well, but then you came over to KC. But before we talk about that, um, you had the best outfield range factor in the big leagues that season. So how important was defense to you, and, and who do you, you know, credit that success to? I don't know. That's kind of a mixture of people. It's um, pretty much all the guys that I came up with as far as coaches. Um, Dwight Smith, he played with Atlanta for a while. Mm-hmm. Old school guy. He played for a while in the big leagues. He pretty much gave me my base as far as defense. But going through different systems and going coming up in the minor leagues in Tampa, you had a lot of outfielders that actually knew what they were doing, and a lot of coaches. And uh, I think I just I don't know. I listened to everybody and put everything into my own game. And I basically just didn't want anything to fall. I knew if I couldn't get a hit that day, the best thing I could do was just try not to let somebody get a hit. So. You know, I just practiced and studied and tried to become the best I could at center field. Because I was drafted as second baseman, apparently I wasn't good enough for that. So. Oh, I didn't know that. You were second baseman? I was a shortstop in high school. I was drafted as second baseman. And they had this Dominican kid, um, I forget his name. They gave him like 900000 bucks, <laughs> And he could throw probably 100 across the diamond from shortstop. Oh, my God. And he was a great shortstop. And I was just uh, a guy that knew how to stopped the ball in the infield, basically. And uh, they saw me, um, they moved me to second base, and they saw me turn it over play. And I remember Jimmy Hoss, who just called me three days ago when he saw that testimony on the Internet. Um, he said, you know what, son? Um, you can run, but you can't really feel the ball very well. So we're going to put you in the outfield. And that was the beginning of being in center field in Tampa Bay. Well, you, you that. yeah, you came over to KC on June twentieth of '06 with Fernando Cortez in exchange for yeah. JP J. Howell. So that was the first trade Dayton uh, made involving player for player, at least. So were you were you shocked when that trade happened? And then what do you remember about the emotions you had being traded to KC? I would just tell you a weird story about that. Uh, Fernando Cortez, he uh, two days before that happened. And it still freaks me out to this day. He said, man, I don't know. I just have this. Because we roomed together pretty much everywhere we went. And uh, we always played this video game. I don't know what it's called now. I think it's called MLB The Show. But it was different back then. And we used to play it every night pretty much. And um, he uh, he's like, man, I just have this sneaky feeling that you're going to get traded soon. And when you get traded, I'm going to be on the back end of your trade. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Two days later, I get called off the field. He gets called off the field. And they tell us that we're both being traded to Kansas City. <laughs> I was like, that is just sneaky weird, man. Like, how do you even know this stuff? 
And then he goes, I go to the big leagues, he goes to the minor leagues. And then uh, it happened twice, I think. And uh, it was just an amazing feeling because I knew it was the first time that somebody actually really wanted me to be on their team. And I was excited to come to Kansas City, even though I didn't know anybody there. I think I knew anybody on the team, actually. But I know it was just a fun time. And uh, I really was happy that Dayton really took the – Took the time not to even think about me coming to Rome that that big outfield that <laughs> that you guys have in KC. Yeah, that's. Did he have the Fernando get like some? Did someone plan him like the? Did he did he get insider info or something? How did he know that? I have no idea, but he said that and it happened. So <laughs> it just kind of worked out for us, <laughs> you know, because he stayed with me. Get some. I think it happened again. Yeah, you know, when I went to Chicago, he said to me, and you probably won't believe this, but it's honest to goodness true. He said it again. It didn't happen in the same time frame. And I went to Chicago, and then he ended up going to the Chicago White Sox Triple A. That's yeah. great. That's great. What's yeah. what's he doing these days? You, you uh, keep in touch with him at all or not? Yeah, man, he's out here in San Diego too. Pretty much everybody that I've been in contact, like close with, they all live out here in San Diego. And uh, he uh, he's out here coaching and you know doing this thing with kids out here, staying within the game. You know, the one thing we know the best. And Mike Sweeney's out there too, right? Yeah, I didn't know that, man. So I went to the game, and uh, and then um, he's he's crazy with the bear hugs. He still hadn't changed at all. <laughs> he gave me the biggest hair, uh, bear hug, especially when I told him that I gave my life to Christ and all that stuff. But he went crazy, man. He got really excited. It was good to see him excited because I was really nervous about telling everybody because everybody knew that you know how I used to be, so you know it, 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 everybody embraced it. He embraced it, so it was it was pretty good. He's a great guy. I love that guy. Uh, yeah, he is. So 2006 would be your high for stolen bases, and at the big league level, you had 22, and you played every day here in KC. So, what were your initial thoughts of your new teammates, and which ones were you closest with after coming over? Well, initial thoughts. There, I just didn't know what to expect, you know, and um, and uh, when I first got here. I kind of connected with uh, David, the Hastings. Not at first, though, because we didn't know who was going to be playing center field on that field. Right. And, uh, but we got over it, I guess. Like, one night we just hung out. and we, uh, so I, just, I went to his room, and we hung out, and we just started talking, and we connect. So we pretty much hung out every day, you know, when the games were over, when we were on the road and stuff like that. And, and everything was just cool after that. And so me, him, Buck... There's like a plethora of guys. We always have like our little clique that we hang out with. But everybody got along on the team because we're all pretty young. But mainly it was me and um, David and Buck. And we all just clicked. And I wish we would have won more games because I think we had a good nucleus of teammates. But it just didn't work out that way. But we still had a good time. We had a great team. Great team. We just didn't win as much as we wanted to. Some great memories too, I'm sure, such as in 2006 – your only big league home run off of Joel Pinheiro. So what do you remember about that at bat, and do you have the ball still? Of course I have the ball. It's the only one I have. <laughs> oh, man. I remember. I don't remember the count, but I know it was a fastball up and away. And I just – I remember standing in the box. and like, if he throws me up and away right now, I'm going to swing as hard as I possibly can and try to hit this ball into the gap. So the only thing I remember, I just, he threw it, perfect spot, and it went out. And I was rounding first, going to the second, full speed. And the umpire looked at me. I'll never forget this look. I don't know if I can try to give you a visual. But he looked at me and did the round finger. But he had his shoulder shrugged like, I don't know how you just did that, but it's a home run. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm looking at the outfielders. I'm looking at him. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. They said it was a home run, so I'm just trotting. By the time I got the home plate, it was just the catcher was laughing, the umpire was laughing, I was laughing, everybody dug out was laughing. So it was just a fun experience. That's I, that's one thing I'll never forget. I have a lot of good memories in the big leagues as far as that, but that was fun. That it's was like it's like you punked them or something, right? <laughs> yeah, it felt good. Yeah, so 2007, you started at Omaha. You were tearing the cover off the ball at the start of that year. You had 328, 21 out of 26 in steals, and then the Royals finally came to their senses. They called you back up, and you had a great year then. 307, 371 on base. And, uh, you know, even despite all your success, though, was that a frustrating season when you look back because of the bouncing up and down a few times during that season? Yeah, uh, it was tough to get comfortable that year because I knew what I could do if I was there the whole time, but... You know, sometimes you just have to go through some things in, in order to get to the ultimate goal. I'm like, obviously, you know what I'm going through now. But, yeah, it's tough when you feel like you deserve to be somewhere and you're not there the whole time and you have that full confidence that the team is still with you. But at the end of the day, it's your job. you got to go out there and perform anyway. So it's one of those things that you just got to live with. Well, August of 2007, something else memorable happened. I'm guessing uh, you probably have never gotten a Christmas card from Aaron Hill after robbing him back-to-back days on home runs, right? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, not a one. Not a one. Probably won't ever get one either. That's a funny story, man. Uh, <laughs> I'll never get a uh, uh, Roy Holiday. He sent me a jersey and asked me to, like, he told me what to write. And I, I sent it back to him, and they gave it to him as his gag gift. What? At the end of the year. Really? Yeah. And that's not it. And, and, um, and uh, the year that I played with Toronto in spring training, fortunate as that was, uh, I had number one, and Aaron's always been number two. So he was my locker mate, and he came up to me. But he waited until every single person was around in order to tell me this story. He's like, hey, man, you remember that year that you robbed those two home runs for me? I was like, yeah. Uh, I was trying not to think about it. I was hoping you didn't bring it up. But he was like, yeah, yeah. You remember that? I was like, yeah. He's like, uh I was two home runs shy of 30 that year. And you know what I would have got if I would have hit 30? I was like, no, man, but you started making me feel bad. He's like, I would have got an extra few hundred thousand bucks. And you just took that out of my pocket. I was like, oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. You're making me feel bad. So he missed his bonus because he didn't get to 30 home runs because he was two home runs shy. <laughs> That's a great story, though. I love that. I feel bad for him, but, you know, I had to get him. I think this further next time. Yeah. So in the same year too, you had a, this is like a memorable year for you. So you also stopped major league history from being set. So Bobby Jenks had that what forty one straight hitters retired. It, it tied the record for MLB, and then you let off the ninth on August twentieth, and you singled. What do you remember about that at bat? It was fun. It was nerve wracking, but it was fun. It was like the one time I felt like everybody was hoping that I failed. <laughs> I just wanted so badly not to. And it was a battle. It wasn't easy at bat because he just throws heavy cutter after cutter after cutter. And it's not like he's throwing them at 86 or like 94. So I was just trying to find a way to put it in play. And, I mean, I think I saw the video on uh, YouTube. Somebody sent it to me. And um, it was from a fan. You can just hear everybody talking. And so it's completely different now. That, like I can hear what people were saying and what I was thinking at the plate. But... It was just fun, and the next day I ended up seeing Jinx after I got the single, and he was not happy. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted him to get that, but I also didn't because I wanted to get the hit. So well, I'm glad you got the hit, man. I don't want that. That's great. 
Did, yeah. So was that a it, was that a was that a deep in the hole to shortstop? Am I right about that? Is that what that hit was? Yeah, it was like a soft liner to short. I think. Okay, good. My my mind's still with me. So Buddy Bell left then following 07. How how'd you like playing for Buddy? It was it was uh, it was an experience. I can say that. Yeah. He's a different buddy. He just, he, he's he's Buddy Bill. He likes he's stubborn in his ways. So, you know, you have to. Oh, you just kind of have to go with you know what the manager wants, and that's you know that's what we did that year. I respect him a lot though because you know he knows the game very well. I think he's still in Chicago right now, so. Yeah. Just something you got. Yeah, like I said, it's one of those things you just have to you know deal with, and hopefully it makes you better. We had our our uh, our days, but. At the end of the day, I respect Buddy a lot, and I wish nothing but the best for him. 2008, we talked about it earlier, but you jumped over Hiroki Kuroda <laughs> during a spring training game. How did that even happen? Did, did you even realize what you were doing, or is it just kind of like human nature? No. It was, I don't, see, to this day, I do not understand why I did that. <laughs> I just, I mean, it was a weak round ball, and he was kind of fumbling with it, and I was running. I don't know what told me to do it, but I just jumped over him, and... I don't know. I needed that hit, I think. <laughs> I just jumped over him. He kind of fumbled the ball and dropped it. So they called me safe. I didn't know that video was on YouTube. So somebody called me and told me. Oh, yeah, that's classic. They show that on FSN still to this day sometimes. I'll show it during Royals telecasts. That's funny. It's yeah, that was, that was fun. But <laughs> I don't know what I was saying. A lot, most, of the, the, most of the times when it comes to jumping something, I usually don't know what I'm thinking. I just kind of do it. <laughs> Well, uh, so Trey Hillman was your new manager in 08. Uh, what were your thoughts on him? Did you like him? Yeah, Trey was cool. He um, He's more reserved. When you go from Buddy to Trey, it's kind of it's like, yeah, it's two different animals because, you know, Buddy's very assertive. He'll tell you, you know, what he's thinking. Kind of like Lou Pinella. So that's why I respect him so much because they're very upfront with what they have to tell you. And Trey was He'll tell you, you know, what we need to get by, but he's not as assertive as those guys. But I like Trey. He was very cool and casual country boy, so we kind of related. Well, uh, following 2008, then you were granted free agency. Your Royals days were over. But when you look back to your times in KC, what are your favorite memories, both on and off the field, uh, of Kansas City? Good. I mean, I made a lot of friends there. It was kind of ironic. Like the first night that I was in Kansas City, um, I ran into my old high school friend like we went to high school all my years and he lived in kansas city he's neil smith's uh nephew huh. and we've known each other since my new world days in 1996-2000 so i've known neil and his family for a long time i didn't even know they were in kansas city the first game i played and they were at the game and i just randomly ran into him that same night at grand saloon oh yeah and uh so random but yeah so I had all of them there while I was there, and I met a lot of people. And the fans were always great, even when I went to uh, what was that the T Bone. Um, it was just a good time. I can't say anything negative about that city because it was always good to me. Other than it's cold in the winter, yeah. I wrecked my car twice in the snow because I wasn't used to driving <laughs> in the snow. Oh, so you stayed here over the winter at least once or twice, huh? I stayed one off season, and after that, I moved to San Diego. Yeah, that was enough. Yeah, so. <laughs> Two thousand nine, you got to play in two of the most iconic parks in sports, Wrigley Field and Fenway. What what was that like? That'd have been pretty cool. Two in the same year, right? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, I remember the day we left to go on the road in in Chicago. The uh, the fields were 
uh, it was still brown, like it was all twigs. And they were like, man, when we come back, it's going to be green. It's going to be just like you're imagining on TV. I was like, yeah, right. Have y'all, are y'all looking at the same outfield that I'm looking at? Came back, and it was beautiful. Like, I was excited for that to happen. That's the one thing I couldn't wait to see. And it was amazing. And the same thing with Fenway, man. I, like, that is my mecca of baseball. It's my favorite stadium, hands down. Yeah, that, that's it's everything place. about that place. It's just baseball. And you're playing, it's, I just love it. Even when I played against them when I was in Tampa Bay, it's, it was just a good time. Now, 2010, you were with Long Island, Norfolk, and then Baltimore. So any positive memories from you know your brief Baltimore days? Yeah, everything's positive. I mean, when you're playing baseball, I don't see anything negative, you know, but it's just, I just, just thinking about it now, it's a lot of traveling, a lot of people that you get to meet and entertain and make, and make happy. But uh, there's a lot of stories that goes in between different places in Long Island. Long Island was fun. Uh, you get to you know you get to see some of those people that you actually see on TV, like the Jersey Boys and Jersey Shore type people. When you go to the beach, I really didn't think it was true, but it was true when I saw. <laughs> well, and you meet those type of people, and you know, it was just a good time going through the, that type of system and then getting back to the big leagues and all that stuff. So. And you did it one more time in 2011, ND Leagues, uh, back to Boston. Then 2012, you were uh, with AAA for the Reds. And then, uh, you know, last year in Kansas City with the T-Bones. So was it kind of cool being back in KC and being, you know, with Frank White again? Yeah, it was. It was weird seeing him because I didn't know he was there. But, yeah, Frank was awesome, man. And uh, a lot of things learned from him. But I think at that time, that was just kind of a going away type of thing for baseball. I don't I just... I didn't feel like once my son was born, I just felt like it was time to just shut it down. Even though I'm 33 and I could probably still run faster than most people in baseball, but <laughs> yeah, I think it was just time to you know just hang out with my kid, man, and just chill out because I don't know the game is fun to play, but and I think I will miss it for whatever time you know I decide not to play. But it was still a great time to come back in Kansas City and see all my friends and play around and I was able to go to games and actually sit in the stands which was different but, really you know, so you'd be yeah, like I went to at Kaufman really I didn't know that yeah the first time I went I was I showed up in like in the eighth inning and I found out I was on the MLB network like, <laughs> within the first five minutes I was there jeez so but, yeah I went to a few games and it was fun and it's just different when you're in the stands watching it because you know <laughs> especially when you feel like you can still play I liked your quote on TV the other day when you said, man, I had no idea how expensive these this food was here. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, seriously. Who pays 10 bucks for a soda? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Like, well, the worst is the bottled water. You can buy like a 24-pack for 3 bucks, and it's like 6 bucks for a bottled water. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea, man. I was like, it is like, this is worse than the movie. Right, no, it totally is. Well, but that's great. So, is there any chance we'll see you back in baseball someday, coaching or in you know in some capacity at, at the professional level? Yeah, well, I'm in the process of getting all that done. Now, it's kind of hard to do when um, the season's already going on. But I've been talking to some coaches and um, old friends. Uh, I won't say their names, but yeah, we're in the process of getting all that done because I have too much knowledge of the game to not share. You know, with people, I've learned a lot from Rusty Coons who's still with Kansas City, probably my favorite um, baseball player ever. Love him. Who he is and how he is and the stuff he's taught me. I haven't met anybody that hasn't said that. Like, he's a lovable guy. 
Yeah, so, a, lot, a lot of the immature drunk fans like him for his back of his jersey, too. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was there for that. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, we had lots of stories about that that, that name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah. Of course, the next step is to go back in to teach. You know, that's basically what I was doing my last year anyway. Just pretty much giving knowledge and trying to help people. Beautiful. Well, thanks a lot for your time. Before we let you go, what would you like to say to Royals fans listening right now? Keep watching because the Royals are getting better. You know, I think they're at five hundred or very close to it. We're above now. Yeah. There you go. And I watched the game the other night, man, and uh, things are slowly getting back together. House has hit his third home run, so he will get back on track. And once he starts doing that, I think everything will roll back in. You have him, Gordon, Butler, Dyson, whenever he's in there, Kane. You have a good nucleus, so stay with them. Continue to watch and support the Royals because they will start to win. And I know the Kansas City fans are always down for some winners, so stay tuned. Yeah, and hopefully we'll see you someday, either you know in an opposing uniform, hopefully in our uniform, in the big league dugout again someday, or in the minor league system, whatever it may be. Thanks so much for your time. You're an inspiration, and, and thanks for all the service you, you gave to the Royals. And go Royals, right? Go Royals. Thank you, Dave. Take you care. Have a blessed afternoon. You too, man. God bless.